Andrew Dowdy here on the High Motor Podcast alongside Chase A. Kitty of Richmond VA. You've heard him on the midweek episodes of the High Motor Podcast. Now you're going to hear him on this episode of the High Motor Podcast. Chase, let's start here. What was the dumbest thing that you saw in Week 5? I, I think this is probably going to be killed from a lot of people, but I, I feel like it was the play call on the North Carolina two-point conversion. I love that they went for it. I don't know why you run an option play there. Uh, it just seemed really odd. I kind of agree with, I didn't love the play call, but in terms of, I got a a lot of dumb things that I want to get to, but that that was one of them. I almost hate the reactions to the play call. And first of all, if you're criticizing going for two in itself, that's just stupid. We're on the same page with that. Going for two was the right call there. Oh, I love that they went for two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand how you could possibly, I mean, think about it. If you don't go for two, you are giving a team that, whether or not you think Clemson's the best team in America, they didn't play like it, but they're at least a top five, maybe a top three team, you're giving Clemson more possessions to win that game, whether or not that happens in regulation or in overtime. Like if you kick the PAT, Clemson has one more possession in regulation and barring a turnover or something crazy, you have no possessions. So that's one to zero. If you go to overtime, including regulation, Clemson would have two possessions, one in regulation, one in overtime. You're going to have one. I mean, yeah, maybe you might win that game. Obviously, it didn't work out. So you can argue they might have won that game if they had kicked the PAT, whatever. But the numbers support going for two right there. I, I In terms of the play call itself, I don't like stretching out a defense that they didn't play great against North Carolina, but you're still stretching out a defense with the best defensive coordinator in the country, a fast, disciplined, good, smart defense. I don't love that part of it, but I almost hate the reaction. Not you specifically, because you seem to be reasonable about it, but it's like everyone's like, yeah, let's go for two, and then the, the play call happens. Oh, no, you can't run that play call. I don't know. If the play call works, we're sitting here praising North Carolina. So I guess the overreactions or there's the reactions in general to it, people flipping out about the play call. What else are you going to run there, I guess is my question, that you know is going to work? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're right about the the result, the confirmation bias part of it, where like, oh, we watched that play get blown up because Clemson's really good on defense, so we hate the play call. O- overall, collectively, we hate it. I'm totally with you on that. I just feel like that wasn't a smart play call for what North Carolina's offense is. For Clemson's strength on defense, I probably would have attacked the back end. I know it's a two-point conversion, so you don't have a ton of room. But I would have run some sort of bootleg with a rub. You're dragging a tight end somewhere. You've got a couple of options, even if you're running to one side of the field. I just don't love running an option play in that spot. I just don't think it's the right play call. Yeah, I think that's fair. And again, I don't love the play call, but I didn't completely hate it. I'm better with that than just running a dive up the middle. Okay, I mentioned a few other dumb things. I want to get your take. Here, let me tell you what I think is dumb. I have one, two, three more things. That was included in the North Carolina reaction. I have three more things. Uh, stop me when you either disagree or you, you agree with it. A couple of on-field things. One was the 10-second runoff from the Troy game to end the game. Did you see the end of the Troy game, how that worked out? I just caught it this morning, yeah. So what happened if if you, if you weren't watching Troy-Arkansas State late last night, it was, I don't know, 10 Central or sometime when that got over, 
Basically, Troy was down 7, 50 to, to 43 against Arkansas State. They were driving, no timeouts left. They ran a play, I think it was like 3rd and 12 or 3rd and 10, something like that. They ran a play that picked up uh, 6, 7, 8 yards. It was like 4th and 2, 4th and 3 from the Arkansas State uh, 12-yard line, 11-yard line. 9 seconds left, a Troy guy goes down. So without any timeouts, it's automatic 10-second runoff. And my what I think is dumb is that a game has to end like that. The only problem here, and this is what's so frustrating, is that I don't know if there's a solution to that. I mentioned on Twitter, maybe you, you, you drop it down to a five-second runoff. You can't eliminate the rule completely, right? If you eliminate the rule completely, players are going to fake injuries. We already see it in college football, slowing down offenses. I mean, if they had the ability to fake injuries and stop the clock, it would happen. So I guess the question is, what, even though I'm mad about it, I don't know if there's anything you can do about it, right? Maybe I'm I'm 100% with you on this. That's a terrible way to lose a game. Maybe you have to take a yardage penalty, but it doesn't actually affect your down and distance. Like it like instead of having first down on the 35, you have first down on the 40. And so it's that the game is still, still alive so that you're not you're not just ending the game. Right. It it just seems like a terrible I totally get why they put the rule in place. Especially, like, I know you and I watch a ton of Big 12 football. We see this in the Big 12 all the time because just the offenses are so breakneck. Uh, but So I, I get why you have to do it because players 100% fake injuries, and they'll do it even more at the end-to-end of, end of games. But, yeah, this is this is awful. You know, two other things, and I, I, I wanted to talk about the Fitzgerald two-point decision, but I almost don't want to talk about it because it's just getting beaten to death. The numbers support the decision. The numbers don't support running a stupid play call like that. So let's just skip that, and let's talk about Mike Leach blasting his players in public after they go down to Salt Lake City and get hammered. This is a week after blowing that 32-point lead against UCLA. So in their last, I think, five quarters, they've been outscored like 85 or 86 to 20-something. So after the game, if you did not see that, Mike Leach just tore into his players uh, – calling them entitled, soft, I think they call them fat and lazy, something like that. I think this is idiotic. We can all laugh at what Mike Leach does, his mannerisms, his saying, talk about hunting raccoons and all that stuff is funny. I think this is completely out of line. You and I talked about this before I hopped on, and I got the feeling that you disagree with me here. You're okay with that. If that's true, why are you okay with Mike Leach going on and blasting his players in public? Well, I don't don't know that I want to characterize it as I'm okay with it, but here's... Here's my two things on this. Number one, this is the other side of the leech coin, right? Everybody has a good time asking them which Pac-12 mascots would win in a, in a survival fight or whatever, and everybody thinks it's hysterical and it's got a billion retweets on Twitter. This is the natural extension of that conversation, right? Because it's not just that he's a goofy guy. He, he doesn't have a filter. He, he has absolutely, like in a, in a sport where everybody is super careful about what they say to reporters, he will just let anything fly. And so this is the other side of the I'll say anything coin. It, it's, I, I almost wonder psychologically if he knows he gets so much positive reinforcement on, on saying outlandish and attention grabbing things in press conferences. I wonder if this is the next place that he goes, not even consciously. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he's doing it for attention. Just that's, that's how people work, right? When you get positive reinforcement, you continue that behavior. You extend that behavior into a, an even farther zone of, of reaction and maybe ridiculousness. I'm not crazy about what he said, but I, I'm also not in the locker room and, and I don't know what issues there are, there are in there. So, but if I there are really... issues, shouldn't be here. No, actually, before we get into this too much, let me play that clip right here for those of you who did not see it. Well, we're a very soft team. You know, we get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot. 
Uh, we like to pat ourselves on the back. Um, you know, and if we get any resistance, we fold. And what's amazing about this is, um, uh, most of these guys were on the same team last year that was a tough team. Last year's team was a tough team for us. Um, and, uh, we got nearly the same guys and now all of a sudden they're not tough. You know, they're fat, dumb, and happy and entitled. And I, I guess my point is, is that there are issues in the locker room and maybe I want to give him the benefit of the doubt here because I try to do that with coaches and student athletes. Just like we were talking about um, with North Carolina, maybe North Carolina saw something that Clemson defense was doing. They figured that was the right play. I don't know what they're seeing on on their sideline. I don't know what they saw on film all week. And credit to Brent Venables for doing that. But getting back to this, I don't know what's going on in that locker room. Maybe he's tried things. Maybe he's tried drastic measures. But I still don't see how this is the appropriate forum. And I had him on the podcast uh, back this summer, and we were talking about the the whole Tennessee situation, uh, how his text messages got out with John Curry, his interest there. And he basically said that he doesn't assume any conversation that he he has is going to remain private. And I feel like this kind of goes along the same line here because – I really doubt he's going to come back on, on Sunday night or Monday morning and say, you know what, guys, I shouldn't have said that. So I don't think he regrets this at all, and maybe this was his plan, or maybe it was just a snap reaction. So let me ask you this. A couple of weeks ago, we, we were talking, not you specifically, but my uh, guest Jason Churchill and I were talking about Willie Taggart after uh, that that play call uh, in, the, in the loss to Florida State. I can't remember who they lost to, but he had said that uh, it was at their loss at Virginia. That's what it was. And uh, it was when they ran the, the draw play when they were down. They ended up losing the game in the last few seconds. And Willie Taggart said, ask Kendall Bryles why we ran that play, because we I wasn't uh, doing the play calling, and we had talked about that some coaches we felt like could get away with that comment because of where the Florida State program is and because of how Willie Taggart has approached this rebuild. We don't like how he's approached it, so we don't like that comment. And actually, one of the coaches we said that might be able to get away with it is a Mike Leach. So let me ask you, you think that any coach, or are there only certain coaches that can get away with saying something like this, and is Mike Leach one of them? To answer the second part first, yes, I 100% think Mike Leach can get away with this. It's almost like you build up tolerance for things, right? Like when we look at Popovich or we look at Saban or we look at Dabo or we look at Leach. Now those are four different styles of communication, but they do all have sort of a brand on how they talk. And so when you, I think when you fall into that brand, I think you have a little bit more leeway and a little bit more rope on on how far you can go. And I think this falls under the Leach brand of, no filter, just saying whatever you want. I think that's great context that you brought in about the conversation with, that you had with him over the summer about how he assumes all things are going to eventually become public. I think that's great context for this. I didn't even know that. Um, I, I really think that maybe he really feels like this is a message that his team needs. And I'm sure it's compounded by the fact that they're, you know, they've now lost back to back pack 12 games and, a team that was sort of in the top 30 conversation to start the year is now, you know, looking up in the Pac-12 standings in a conference that's definitely going to chew each other up. I'm sure all that's a factor, but if if he feels Leach is a guy that I actually kind of trust a lot, and if he feels this is a message he's got to get to his players, I think a lot of people are going to buck at how aggressive the language is. But maybe this is something he feels like his players need. And that could be an interesting conversation. We're not going to talk about it too much here because, again, everybody is probably talking about it this morning. But how would that – like, what if David Shaw says that 
after after Stanford loses to USC, what if David Shaw comes out and says that? What if Pat Fitzgerald, after the loss in Wisconsin, comes out and says something like that? Or a first-year coach? I mean, what? I guess it depends on what situation. I could see, like, if Les Miles came out and said that because we know how broken the Kansas program has been for 10 years. I think that's a situation where you could get away with it. But what if, like, a, a soft-spoken coach, like, what if Herm Edwards said this his first season? And he was getting ripped for the hire in general and that he didn't know anything about college football and he was out of touch. Can you imagine Herm Edwards saying something like this? So I guess who who would say this where you would say that is because it I know you're 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 not um you're not totally okay with these comments, but who would say it where you would say that is completely out of line, they should not be saying is it a first year coach thing that they can't say it but because Mike Leach has been around for what, thirty to thirty five years, been a head coach for God, probably almost twenty now. You feel like he can say it and it is okay, or he can say it and it's just accepted because of what Mike Leach is. I think the David Shaw thing is definitely an interesting idea. Because can you imagine if he would say something? Th- like it this? would be so It'd shocking be huge, to hear him say that. Huge. Right. Everyone would be talking about is David David Shaw off the rails. Is the time for him to actually go to the NFL? I mean, the headlines would be everywhere. The headlines for Mike Leach are everywhere, but. My God, if David Shaw said this. I, I think the way I look at it, it's, it's like this is a data point, right? And does this data point square with the neighborhood that you generally tend to live in? And for Leach, I think it does. So like you, know, like you said, I, I, I don't know that I love the comments. I don't know that you have to go make this comment it, to the media. But I, I think it's, it's a, certainly a way to send a message to your team that like, hey, this is how I feel. And I feel so strongly about this. I feel like you guys need to change so aggressively and so fast. I'm not saying it in the locker room. I'm saying it to the media. That It's a strong message if it's nothing else. But it, it's it's very Leachian, I feel like, in terms of his brand of communication. If, As you said, if Pat Fitzgerald says this, if David Shaw says this, it's way bigger news because it doesn't square with their brand of communication. I'm very curious how this turns out. Washington State, their season isn't over, but they they can still win the Pac-12, but their season in terms of contending for a really nice bowl game is probably over. And I talk a lot about how when, when a coaching hire happens, like when Herm Edwards was hired, I didn't think it was going to work, but I was extremely curious. I wanted to jump four or five years down the road and see what happens. I'm really curious to go four or five years later now, maybe talk to some Washington State players that were in that locker room, see how they felt about this. All right, Chase, let's play You're Wrong. It's You're Wrong on the High Motor Podcast. You will read the statements this week. Let it rip. All right. I'm really excited for this. Age-appropriate. Age-appropriate. We have an explicit button on the podcast. I've never had to use it. Age-appropriate. I'm just excited because I I think this is the most fascinating thing that you and Church do sometimes. So I'm really excited to play this game. All right, number one, Clemson is still a playoff team. Number two, Texas A&M is not a top 40 team. Not a top 40 team. I haven't done my rankings yet for this week. That's interesting timing on that because when I had Stephen Lassen on the podcast last week, Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports, I think – we went through. We didn't play your wrong, but we went through. I said, "Tell me if this is an overreaction." This is after A and M looked pretty bad against Auburn, and now they look pretty bad against Arkansas. I think my statement was Texas A and M is several years away from real, true SEC contention and playoff contention, which I believe Stephen had a little bit of pushback on there. I just said I think they're a huge step. They're getting better. I think. I think there's been a talent infusion, but I still think they're a big step right now. No, no, I don't think they're probably a top tw- not top 40 team. Uh, next statement, UVA is a 10-win divisional champion. I'd have to look at the schedule. Uh, you know, I I thought they actually looked decent. I almost treated that game 
kind of like Notre Dame going down to Georgia. Yeah, Notre Dame lost, but Notre Dame looked really good, and it was one of those games where I wish that Notre Dame was in a damn conference, so because they, they lose that game, their, their playoff chances are probably gone, whereas if Notre Dame is in a conference, they still have a decent chance to make the playoff. I kind of look at the Virginia loss. Yeah, they lost that game, but I thought Virginia actually looked pretty good and made me really optimistic about what Brennan, uh, Bronco Mendenhall is doing, so I can't say that you're definitively wrong on that. Penn State cannot win the Big Ten. I get that Ohio State hasn't really played anybody yet, but they have looked so damn good that I cannot disagree with that. Hawaii is a New Year's Six contender. <laughs> I think you're wrong on that. Okay, tell me I wasn't, why. I wasn't expecting to see Hawaii in there. I guess I guess when they went up to Washington and they, they looked like a... Uh, like they were on, Washington was on a completely different level. I'm not even that high on Washington. Um I don't really want to talk about Hawaii, though. Do you have another one? Can we pretend that that one just wasn't included? Can we just pretend I didn't say that? Yeah, I just, I just don't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to get Nick Rolovich on the podcast here in a couple of weeks, so hopefully they don't say that I don't want to talk about Hawaii. But right now, I just I, there are so many other things to talk about. I love that you put it in, but I just don't want to talk about Hawaii football right now. There's so many other things to talk about. All right, I got a couple more here. Uh, Justin Fuente will be fired at the end of this season. Wow. Tell me more while I look up his buyout. I just wrote it, but I can't remember what it was. I think it's $15 million. All right, so here's, here's I, I think. Yeah, why do you think he's going to be fired? It is $15 million if he's fired after this season. Uh, really quickly, so if he were to be fired after last season, moot point 15, it stays at 15 after this year, drops down to 12 and a half after. I mean, it doesn't drop below $10 million until after until after the 2022 season. So we're talking about three more seasons. Here's, here's why I think this. And, and there's there's a lot of reasons. First of all, I for people that maybe aren't aware, I live in Virginia. So I am in the Virginia Tech bubble. The Virginia Tech people are, they're not even mad. They're just depressed. Like it, it is it is the most lifeless fan base I've seen in Virginia for a long, long, but long But that time. number, I guess the number I think is just too big. That's it's a, a really big, big number. number. But Bud Foster is retiring at the end of this year. Bud Foster is Virginia Tech's Fantastic defensive coordinator. He he is publicly announced like 1902. Fought in the Civil War uh, and then became the defensive coordinator of Virginia Tech. So the thing is with him gone, and he has been the just the life of this program, maybe even more so than Beamer uh, over the last few decades. If he's gone and Virginia Tech still looks this bad at the end of the year, I you can't get blown out at home by Duke. Who like, do they that's hire? Bad. Well, who do they hire? That's that's a good question, and that's one I don't have the answer for yet. But it feels like if Foster leaves, maybe they just go, okay, totally clean slate. We want to bring in a whole new coaching staff. We know we're losing Foster. I, I, I think it's possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but I definitely think it's on the table that they go total whitewash and start fresh at the end of the season. I would be absolutely stunned for both of the reasons I just mentioned. Um, and I know that Virginia Tech doesn't have a new idea. I think Whit Babcock's been there for, what, five or six years now? So it's not like they got in a new guy who who's trying to throw his dick around a little bit. Might have to press the explicit button. Didn't mean that. But I don't think there's a well, new guy. Well, it came guy. from you, too, not I know. from me. I know. That's just embarrassing. But I don't think there's not a, a situation where there's a new guy that wants his guy in there. I mean, Whit Babcock hired Justin Fuente, so I don't see him. I, I guess the number and who do you hire? That's the biggest. The number question I for think me. is the big thing for me because you can go find somebody to hire. Who Who are you going to hire? Where you can say? And, and I had Ross Dellinger on the podcast last week. We briefly talked about Will Muschamp, and yeah, everyone. And it, it's kind of a similar situation there. He has a huge buyout, north of ten million dollars. But same deal. Who do you hire where you feel that much better? 
And what we talked about, I mean, people talk about those in Michigan too. Yeah, Harbaugh is not doing great, but who do you hire where you feel that much better about your program? Like, if you hire Matt Campbell, do Michigan fans wake up and say, God, I feel a lot better about our program? Maybe a little bit, but is it worth the numbers? Not only are you trying to find somebody else where you feel better about than Justin Fuente, which might not be, I mean, when you hire somebody, everybody feels good about them. It's like the NFL draft where you, the, where the six round pick, the kid out of uh, Georgia Southern is just going to tear it up and become an all pro. It's that a great body of, for a linebacker, right? Really great body for a linebacker, yeah. really good rangy speed, really twitchy. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be the all pro. So it's like the same thing. Whenever anybody, there are rarely, yeah, hires get ripped, but still, when you put the guy up on the podium, everyone's excited. When you put Willie Taggart up on the podium, Florida State fans are throwing everything. They're excited. He's going to bring him back to the ACC championship, playoffs every year, whatever. So not only are you finding that guy, that, that real guy, not just the guy that's going to get you excited for 24 hours until the actual, you, you play a football game, but you're paying $15 million to tell Justin Fuente to go away. And I guess... I, so let's say even if he survives this year, when does that buyout become reasonable? Like I said, even after next year, it's still $12.5 million. Right, so are you going to wait three or four years to make a change? But maybe that's the reason if if Whit Babcock is sitting there and saying, God, maybe just Justin Fuente isn't our guy, are you really going to have one more awful – is another awful year worth saving $2.5 million? Or if he has two more awful years, that's only a total of $5 million. Like I said, it goes down to ten after the uh, 2021 season and then down to seven and a half after 2022. So maybe it's it's worth him to say, yeah, I, I don't want to pay that kind of money, but even if, if we wait a couple of years, it's not going to go down that much. I mean, I can't – I'm trying to think of who they would hire. That's, I, I, I don't have a clue. My my, I mean, we could. I God, I I just want Josh to get off Heupel? this podcast. Is and do Josh Heupel now. the guy? Maybe. I I think the big. I, I don't love the Harbaugh comparison though. I I don't I don't to go back a second. I think the big difference. I'm a hundred percent with you when people say, "Well, should we fire Harbaugh?" And you the the response is, "Okay, but who are you going to hire?" Because Harbaugh is an established guy, and we know what he's going to give you. And he's you know he's your quote unquote Michigan man, and he's given you nine win seasons. I mean, he was one game away really from the playoff last year, probably if we really want to get into it. So I think the difference between Michigan and Virginia tech is at least you're in the conversation with Michigan. Maybe you can't beat Ohio state, but you're still a top 20 team. You're still a top 20 program. Virginia tech might, I mean, they had to schedule a game at the last minute to reach bowl eligibility last year. And now this year, it's looking like an uphill climb again. So I, I think the, they're actually worlds apart, even though on the surface, the whole who are you going to hire thing, it's still, a, it's still a challenge. We still have to find a name. But finding a coach to hire is a little bit like the quarterbacks in the NFL draft situation. Like from six months out, you're going, yeah, I think this could be a first rounder. This is a decent name. And then you get up close and you get in the moment and you're like, we got to get into the top two if we want this guy. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's completely fair. And I don't, I don't mean to to say it's a similar situation, but it's to me, it's who does Virginia Tech hire where they wake up and feel that much better about him? And I don't, I, I just, I have a hard time trying to figure out who that guy is. And you're going to have to give that guy four or five million. I mean, you're probably have to give like Josh Heupel if he's that guy or Mike Norvell or whoever. Uh, Mike Norvell has made it very clear he loves Memphis. He's taken extensions. He's given extensions. Uh, given his raise and extension to assistance, he's invested in that program. So you're going to have to give one of those guys 4 or $5 million. And I have a hard time seeing who you could hire where you're saying, yep, this is the right guy. Maybe they do a coaching swap with Memphis. Maybe they give Fuente back to Memphis. I don't think Memphis would do that. 
I don't think they would either. <laughs> so I mentioned Matt Campbell with, with the Michigan situation. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Big 12. I know that, you know, like you said, you and I are pretty deep in the Big 12 usually. Iowa State and Matt Campbell having a, a pretty underwhelming start. Before this season, I said that I thought there were three true contenders, different levels of contention, but I thought there were three true contenders to make the Big 12 title game. That being Oklahoma, the heavy favorite, Texas, a pretty strong favorite. And I thought Iowa State was the third team, but Iowa State has just done nothing for me. They did nothing for me pre-Baylor, and they did nothing for me in the loss to Baylor. I think their offensive struggles are kind of getting... Uh, a little bit over-talked about. Like, it's not that bad. The offensive line isn't that great. Brock Purdy has looked okay. They're moving the football. They're not converting when they need to convert. They need to get better on third downs. They need to get better in the red zone. they got to avoid turnovers and penalties on the offensive side of the ball. But still, Iowa State has just done nothing for me. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I want to say they're not the third-best team in the Big 12. They still might be. I want to get your take, though. Who Who's the third-best team there? And first of all, we can agree that Texas and Oklahoma are out front still, right? Yes. So who's the third best team there? Who has, who is the real threat to knock either Texas or Oklahoma out of the title game? That honestly probably opens up a bigger discussions of the playoff implications if that were to happen. If Oklahoma is being knocked out, we need to talk about playoff. But for now, let's have this discussion in the Big 12. Who's the biggest threat to knock one of those teams out? Is it Baylor now? They're 4-0. Uh, they get both those teams at home. They, I mean, with the Big 12, you, you don't have a, really a friendly or an unfriendly schedule with the round robin. But is it Baylor? Are they the third best team in the Big 12? Are they the biggest threat to actually make the Big 12 championship game over those two heavy favorites? Well, let me answer your question in sort of a roundabout way. No, I prefer First a direct all, answer, actually. Well, if that were, you're going to have to live with the disappointment. Uh I think Iowa State is a bottom half Big 12 team. Wow. How about that? So you think that, what, five teams are better than them? I think five teams are better than Iowa State. I can name them right now. You have to name them right now. You have I will. to. In no particular order. Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Kansas State. Even after what happened, Kansas State, do you, how much of the Kansas State-Oklahoma State debacle do you put on the stupid rain delays? I know I can mess with teams. Do you care I think all the delay the- is part of it, and I think part of it is just contrast of styles. Uh, I, I think Kansas State likes to be contrarian in a league that throws it around a lot, and I think in, in that regard, Kleiman was a great hire. But I think there's something about Oklahoma State that that is not great for how they play, and I think the delay may have exacerbated that but to get back to the question i like if you would have asked me this last week i would have said the exact same thing i didn't i thought baylor was a better team than iowa state a week ago which is why i had baylor plus three in my gambling column this week uh because i thought i was getting points with the better team outright so going into week five you were i guess going into week five where did you have did you have iowa state in the top half of the league or did that Baylor game change you didn't even have them before then what changed your mind was it underwhelming against northern iowa iowa game what changed your mind on iowa state i thought they lost a decent amount from last year and iowa state is not the sort of program that just loses multiple players to the nfl and keeps on being awesome um, so I thought they, they sort of hit a peak last year and they were going to regress a little bit. Where did you year. have them ranked coming into the season? Do you remember? Probably about where I have them right now. Probably like that five, six spot. I Probably five because I didn't think Kansas State was going to be this good right out of the gate. Um, but I think Kansas State and Iowa State have similar strategies in that they try to be maybe a little bit more of a ball control, more conservative team in a highly aggressive throw it around the yard type of league. 
Um, and I just think Kansas State is going to be able to do that more effectively this year. Iowa State is almost in a little bit of a no-man's land where I know they want to run the ball and I know they want to play defense, but with, with Brock Purdy, it's almost like they want to lean in a little bit more to that passing stuff. They want to put the game maybe a little bit more on his shoulders, which is great because he's a great player. But I think identity-wise, maybe they don't necessarily want to do that. So I think there's a conflict there. I think Kansas State is going to be more effective in doing what both those programs are trying to do. Uh, and that's why I think Kansas State is maybe has the edge right now over Iowa State in my personal They're rankings. the biggest threat. I mean, the schedule, like I said, is pretty darn easy in the Big 12. We don't have to look to see which teams are playing. They're going to play all of them, but we do have to look to see where they're playing them. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, Kansas State gets Baylor this weekend at home. Kansas State will be favored, and I will probably pick Kansas State to win that game, which I assume you will. You think you Kansas will. State's going to be favored? I think Kansas State will be favored in that game. I think Baylor will be favored. By what, two or three max? Yeah, I think it'll be a small spread, but I think Baylor coming off of a big uh, a big perception-changing win where everybody's going to go have conversations like we're having right now, like, oh, is Baylor a, you know, sort of a top-four team in the Big 12? You know, we'll talk they... about it on Wednesday. We'll talk about it on the, the Week 6 uh, preview betting pod. So anyways, they, they get Baylor at home, and they get TCU at home. They have three straight home games. So I guess my question is, if they're going to actually be a real threat, they get Oklahoma on October 26th and then Texas on November 9th. If you're going to be a real threat, you probably have to win one of those two games. Which game are they winning? I think they can beat Texas. You think they're going on to Austin? And how much of that is how good Oklahoma State looked against Texas? How much of that impacted your decision to say, you know what, I think that Kansas State can go to Austin and do the same thing and get over the hump? Um, I think the matchup plays a part of it. I think they can they can win time of possession. I think Texas's defense is as it often is overrated. They have great individual athletes. Uh, their defensive line is usually pretty good. But I, I think Kansas State can can do enough to win that game. Yeah, and I think Oklahoma State sort of suggested. I don't know. It's it's the Big Twelve always eats its its own. You know that that's that's the best that's what's thing kept and the them worst out of the thing about before. Exactly. It, the the only reason the Big Twelve sort of has a preferential playoff status over the Pac twelve, I feel like, is because of how good Oklahoma's been the last couple of years. Otherwise, I think they'd be similar leagues with respect to how they've interacted with the playoff and the fortunes that they would have had. You know, I don't know who the third best team is there. It's almost like I want to do the rankings and have like. 12 spots and have Oklahoma one, uh, Texas two, and then just skip three and four and then just, (laughs) and then just go five through 12 because I don't, I mean, I don't even know, but I think it's interesting that you can even have the argument when you said Iowa state in the bottom half, my initial reaction was surprised because I'm not still, I don't like what Iowa state has done, but I'm not that down on them, but there's a pretty good argument that they're not as good of a team as Kansas state is. Whether or not you agree with it, there's an argument there. There's an argument there for Oklahoma state versus Iowa state. There I might think even, it's Oklahoma State. I there might really even do. be an Iowa State versus TCU argument because we don't know how good SMU is. I think SMU is a darn good top 25 good. team. Yeah. So maybe that's not that bad of a loss for TCU, and I know it was Kansas, but Kansas looks competent this year. They didn't look competent against TCU, and much of that had to do with how good TCU looked. So the fact that we can even have this discussion about ranking Iowa State for anywhere between 3 and, God, 7? I mean, because you don't have TCU ahead of them. And what you just said, so if you put TCU at 6 and Iowa State 7, we're only one game into the Big 12, and we're already talking about flipping all of the teams, with the exception of probably, uh, depending on whether you have Texas Tech or West Virginia at 9, then Kansas at 10. With the exception, I think this is kind of what happened going into last year, is you had Texas and Oklahoma, but then 3 through 8, 3 through 9 were just a complete mess, and that's what ended up happening last season. It's kind of, 
shaping up to be the same way, which I didn't expect. I thought we'd have a huge gap between Texas and Oklahoma and then Texas and Iowa State. But then after Iowa State, I thought there was another massive gap. And it's interesting how it's shaking out that there's just a mess of teams from three to eight again this year. Let me ask you a West Virginia question really quick. Uh, not not to make this a Mountaineer podcast, but uh, I, I've been pretty vocal about how down I think my Mountaineers are this year. But every year, they, especially when they're bad, like they were in 2013, every year they jump up and beat somebody that they're not supposed to. Who do you think they're going to get this year? Because they're going to get somebody. I don't know who it's going to be yet. I don't think they're going to get somebody that's shocking because of the reasons we just talked about. Like I, I could see them beating Iowa. Like Iowa State at home, would that would that shock you that much? I mean, that's what, in two weeks? It would Iowa have State at the at beginning home? of the season. I don't think it would now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even, yeah. Going into before Iowa State, I know I get that Northern Iowa is good. I'm not going to offend some of the FCS fans that listen to the podcast. I get that Northern Iowa is good, but still, Iowa State looked really bad in that game against a team they should have beaten pretty handily. So before that game, I would have said there's no way that Iowa State is going to Morgantown and losing. Now, I, I, so I guess that's my question is who I don't think that West Virginia beats Texas this weekend. It's in Morgantown. I get it. I don't think that happens. They're not going to go to Norman and win. Any other game on there, I'd be surprised – Maybe it's the Kansas State game. Maybe it's West Virginia going to Kansas State. I think that's the third uh, November sixteenth. Maybe that's the game they steal. That I'm surprised. But I mean, do you really think that they're going to beat Texas at home this weekend? Uh, no, I don't like the matchup. Uh, I, I'm not crazy about. I, I think West Virginia's offensive line has been extremely mediocre, uh, and, and they just lost Josh Sills for the year, so it's it's probably not going to get any better. Uh, but I, I don't love the matchup against Texas's front. But I do think I don't know. I, I it's the the Neil Brown hype in Morgantown, by the way, is out of control. It is, and, so and it was I a think fantastic gonna, hire. Yeah, it was a great hire, and, and I think he's going to be really good. But they want to elect this man governor. I mean, he he is crazy popular. Dana Holgerson was never this popular. Bill Stewart was never this popular. I don't think Rich Rodriguez was ever this popular, and Rich Rod was super popular in Morgantown for about. Because well, you five, finally, six it feels years. like you finally have a guy, even though Rich Rod was an alum, wasn't he? No, he went to Glenville State. Okay, but he's from West Virginia? He's from West Virginia. Okay, yeah. so even though he's from West Virginia, it feels like none of those, what, three, four guys you mentioned actually really wanted to be there. For Dana Holgerson, it always, to me, from 10,000 feet, it always felt like he was waiting for the back-to-back 10-win seasons that got him an elite job. And now with Neil Brown, if I'm not saying Neil Brown wouldn't do that because let's be honest, West Virginia is a good job, not a great job. He could still leave for something bigger, but it feels like Neil Brown actually wants to be there. He's into it, yeah. Holgerson never wanted... Holgerson, I don't think... I think it was probably the worst kept secret in, in West Virginia that he didn't want to be there. And Rich Rod did go to West Virginia. He coached at Glenville State. I don't know what I'm thinking. But, yeah, uh, I, I, I think they're going to get somebody. I just don't know who yet. Yeah, I don't know who. I, I wouldn't be shocked. And, again, Iowa State uh, at home, if you had told me that before the season, I would have said you're absolutely high. But going to that game... Um, I don't know. All right, last thing I want to talk about, uh, Neil Brown, coming from Troy, coming from the, the group of five. Chase, I want the group of five games to matter. I talked about Arkansas State and Troy. Yeah, it was a fun, entertaining game, but ultimately, uh, aside from the Sun Belt race, race, which, frankly, I don't care about. I, I'll watch some of the games, but I don't care who wins the Sun Belt. I want them to matter, and on Saturday night when we were texting back and forth about what do you want to talk about on the podcast, you briefly mentioned, we're not going to talk about the Mountain West too much this year, but you briefly mentioned how good the Mountain West is this year and nobody's really talking about it. And that kind of led to a discussion where 
I asked for your take on the 18 playoff, and I don't want to talk about the 18 playoff that much because, I mean, it's September. It just kind of feels like a lazy topic to talk about when there's so much else to talk about. But I absolutely despise the 18 playoff proposal that has the five auto bids for P5 winners, the two at large, and then the highest ranked G5 team. I hate it. I think it's absolutely stupid. There are not enough. Uh, competitive balance measures in college football that I think justify giving everybody a fair shot, if that's what you call it. I want the best teams. That's why I've been kind of hesitant to go away from a four-team playoff. But at the same time, I really want to care about Utah State fending off Colorado State on Saturday night. You know, I, I care because it was an interesting game. I care because I'm very curious about Mike Bowles' job security. I'm very curious what direction Gary Anderson is taking that program again. But there are just there are no stakes in that game aside from a divisional win, and I'm not saying that this is leaning toward me supporting it. But I, where I guess where are you with this? I mean, would would you? What is better, having all these G5 games and just more games in general mattering, or would you rather keep it have the best teams have it be the exclusivity of the playoff? My thing with the whole G5 and the playoff thing is. It's great the last couple of years that we've had a great UCF squad that has been pushing for a spot. We we all kind of knew they probably weren't going to get in. But at least their games mattered, it felt like. Yeah, it, it, it their games mattered, and it felt like they really were good enough to at least merit consideration. I don't think that's the norm. I, I don't think we're constantly going to have a really, really good G5 team in the top five or even in the top ten. So I don't want to change the whole structure around to suit a G5 situation that's not even going to exist most of the time. So that's my main thing. But I love G5 football. You know, A lot of people know I'm, I'm super into the FCS stuff too. I, and I write about FCS football all the time. So I, I am not just a P5 guy. I like Division I football. And G5 often has some really, really compelling games. And to your point... It, it feels like they should matter more than they do. I don't know if Utah State's the best example, but like I was dialed in for Nevada-Hawaii last night, which was a real late game. I mean, you had to be committed, and it was raining and ugly, and Hawaii won by a billion points. But going into that game, I was it was one of my most exciting sort of games I was looking forward to for the day. And I don't know why, because it didn't matter. It just felt like it would be a fun football game. Uh, but in terms of stakes, but wouldn't it have been no more fun that if that sucks. game mattered? Yeah, but I, I don't have the solution yet. I feel like, and I, yeah, I guess that that's what we're weighing here. I mean, I, I don't know. I keep going back to the American. Everyone wants to focus on UCF. I thought Cincinnati would be a lot better coming into this season. That maybe Ohio State's just that damn good. But that Ohio, I State think Ohio game, State's just that good. Yeah, yeah. that it's it's still I, I couldn't help it. It still kind of changed my mind on Cincinnati a lot. I thought they'd at least go to Columbus and. Be competitive, lose like a 31-14 to type of game. But, you know, I know that everyone wants to focus on UCF and, like I said, Cincinnati. But, like, going to the West of the the American, you have SMU, Memphis, and Tulane. I want to care about all those teams, and I I do because, I mean, among other things, the coaching situations there. Is Sonny Dykes going to stick around if he has a great year? I could see him getting some P5 offers. Teams have been trying to pry Mike Norvell. I mentioned him maybe be a candidate at Virginia Tech if they were to move on. Then Willie Fritz, is he ever going to get a P5 shot? That's something that Ross Dellinger and I also talked about on last week's podcast. So among other things, the coaching headlines are great in the West, but the actual wins and losses don't matter outside of the West division. 
and I care, I, I, I kind of care, and I'll watch some of the American Championship game, but that's not what I'll be fired up about. I'll watch it because it's on, it should be a great game, it should be like UCF versus SMU or UCF versus Memphis, and it'll be fun. But God, when SMU and Memphis play, I think, I can't remember what, I think it's in like four weeks. I think SMU gets Houston in two or three weeks, and they play Memphis the week after that. When they play, wouldn't that just be fun as hell if that was a game the winner had a, a decent shot at the playoff? I'm not saying that one of those teams is the, one of the eight best teams in the country, but I, 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 the stakes of that game, it would just be an absolute blast if that game mattered. We, there has to be some sort of, I think we need a step between the playoff and the New Year's Bowls. I, there, there's got to be. Why would I care? I'm not going to care. About, I, I, mean, I think bowl games suck. I, I, I don't watch most bowl games. I, that's not going to make me care. Maybe not, but it, it, I think it matters to a lot of the players and the individual fans. If, if you talk to a fan of like the University of Houston or SMU or, or a, a, a sort of solid but unspectacular G5 program, this stuff matters to them. You know, I, I'm I'm somebody, and I feel like I'm talking about football from a bygone era. But like winning conference championships still matters. You know, it, it's it's still something you put in the wall and on the trophy case. But does Going it really? To, I think it does. Yeah, yeah I and, think it and matters think, to the players. And not to be selfish here, but I want it to matter to me. <laughs> I mean, that's a good. That, no, that's a fair. Like, isn't point. that fair? I mean, how Is much? Why how should much, I care about the championship? How much of America? How much of non-affiliated fans? care who wins the Sun Belt? How many of non-affiliated fans actually care who wins the Mountain West? How many non-affiliated fans care who wins the Pac-12, for God's sakes? I mean, it's like 99% of football fans just don't care. They might care who wins the American, because if it is UCF, SMU, I think that would draw a pretty good share of college football, but most people just don't care. So yeah, I do want to be selfish here, and I say I want SMU Memphis to matter, but I don't think I'm willing to go the route of the 18 playoffs. So, I mean, this whole discussion kind of seems stupid because I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's worth it, but I guess I just want to vent here and complain. I want these games to matter so much. It'd be a blast if this game mattered. Yeah, and and what, this is a little different, but like what what kind of odds could I have gotten if I told you before the season that Houston wouldn't have even been a top five team in the American? Yeah, I mean, that might be a bigger discussion, but, you know, always... The Just first year, the Americans co- are fascinating. Yeah, but the first year coach year, thing man. always scares me. I mean, it, you're you're going from what seemed like not a great internal situation with Major Applewhite to a guy that that really really wanted to leave another school, and it might take him a little bit of time to get going. So I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I mean I think it'd be more surprising if I said, "Common, we're talking here before the AP rankings are released." If I had told you. Four weeks ago, I actually had Sonny Dykes on the show a week before the season started. And yeah, he, he, he talked about all the optimistic stuff that any other coach is going to talk about. And I believed some of it. But if I had told you come here week six that SMU, they could be ranked here in the, in the poll that will come out here any minute. But I think they should be. Right, I think they should be too. And if I, But I had told you that a month ago. I mean, we had talked about Iowa State, how dramatically that's changed in a month. If I had told you that SMU is going to be ranked for the first time since the death penalty... That that makes the American it makes SMU football interesting. That makes the American interesting, but again, it does not matter. It matters to SMU and good for that is huge. That is good for Sonny Dykes. He obviously find a job that he loves that he's he can he's good at a good fit. SMU fans are probably fired up, but to the rest of college football, it just doesn't matter. And that's why everyone can bitch and complain about how much time the SEC gets, but the SEC has a great shot of putting two teams in the playoff. No other conference can say that. So I don't care if, if the SEC is getting all these games on, on whatever national TV channels. So like, you, you just have games that matter. 
The American doesn't. The Sun Belt doesn't. The Mountain West doesn't. The Pac-12 doesn't. You, you talk about uh, your own personal investment as a fan. You just want it to be fun. You want to care. I think the best answer for some of these American games and Mountain West games, I think the best answer for that is like Thursday night football and Wednesday night football. Right. And it, it sucks for the players, the, the turnarounds. And, and, you know, it's not as bad this year because there's that extra buy that everybody gets. But I, I think having those extra games in slots that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have football, but those Amer- like the American games are really fun. Like they, they're high scoring awesome and there's a lot of offense. Just like and- the Sun Belt. I know people call it just the Fun Belt because that's what they call it. But the Sun Belt, the American, they're awesome, just fun. They're usually better games in G5. Than there are in P five, even though they don't have the stakes that the P five does. I think that's that's the answer. It's it's the the weeknight games that are highly entertaining. You want to come back on Wednesday? Yeah, I'll be back. All right, I will be back too. Wednesday morning, that'll be the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. I'm working on a guest for that episode that I think that you will all enjoy very much. And then, like I said, Chase, you'll be back for the week six betting preview. We'll talk about. Uh, what Baylor, Kansas State, that's what we had said. I'll put that on the docket to see what that line ends up at. Your recommendations for either betting that or avoiding that. We'll look at the best bets, your 2K parlay, and then some just some general week six strategies. So that'll be Wednesday morning, bright and early, on the High Motor Podcast. In the meantime, check out the show on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. Chase, you are at Chase A. Kitty, and I'm at A. Dowdy. 88. Hey, thanks for dropping by. It was a pleasure to have all of you for this episode, and please come back later this week as we look ahead to week six of college football on the High Motor Podcast.